0: Welcome again to Creative Mind. I'm your host, Bobby Brill, and on this episode, we get deep into documentaries. So like the rest of us, we're all cooped up at home and watching a lot of television and watching a lot of Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever streaming service you're listening to. And you're probably watching a lot of documentaries because right now documentaries have had a resurgence. And we say that a lot, that it's the year of documentaries, the decade of documentaries. But right now, because of your phone, cheap cameras the ease in which you can capture content, documentaries, telling a real life story, the non-fiction side of life has become easier and documentaries seem easy because it's the first thing we do when we pick up a camera, we film the things we know, the people around us, our family, our friends, a birthday party, or our beautiful son taking their first steps. It's a documentary, it's real life. Sometimes though, those stories become something bigger It could be something news related. It could be the story of your grandparents, how they met. It could be the story of somebody who's a brilliant author and turns out to be a big giant phony. As in the case of our next guest, Marjorie Sturm, in her documentary, The Cult of J.T. Leroy. Oh, you like that segue there? It's very important that after you listen to this podcast... Go check out The Cult of J.T. Lauer. I've got to mention this because it's really a really fascinating documentary. She goes in depth about this in the podcast, but it's a good example of how one idea can start here on the left through hours and years of capturing content, end up completely here on the right. And it's something that is a good example of how a documentary happens and how a documentary should be made. So please, check out The Cult of J.T. Leroy. It's on Amazon Prime and a lot of other streaming services. If you are a student or uh, a member of the Academy of Art University, it's available free through the library. Check that out on the website. Give that plug when we get back to talking about what we're going to be talking about today. So, Marjorie Sturm, a tremendous documentarian. She teaches documentary editing at the Academy of Art University. And she really talks about how a documentary is something that has to be a labor of love. It has to be about telling a story, and it has to be something that takes a lot of time. But she really goes into a lot of the great tips and tricks into doing this right, and the mindset you have to have. Because a documentary is really, again, something that can be very simple. It can be the story of favorite food truck guy that turns out he's really laundering money for the mafia. Good story there, fiction, nonfiction. it can't happen. But take a listen and take some notes, because if you really have a good idea while you're sitting at home, this is the next step by listening to Marjorie Sturm.
1: My name is Marjorie Sturm, and I've been living in San Francisco now since 1991, and I'm a filmmaker. I got my um, Master's of Fine Arts at San Francisco state in cinema and studied psychology before that and here at Academy of Art I teach COM102 and COM602 which is basically Adobe Premiere editing where we make music videos and short documentaries
0: okay so that that's why I really wanted to talk to you because you know you're one of those rare people that can legitimately claim to be a documentarian so much of us you know like to go and take a camera out and record something but you've actually gone through the entire process multiple times of doing a documentary creating a documentary releasing a documentary and then all of the pain and happiness that comes after that
1: that's right it is definitely i don't know even know if it's a labor or love or some sort of insanity it's a mix you know it really really is just sort of a a crazy sort of Well, I mean,
0: because documentary to me sounds it's so tough because and, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but so much of documentary, like you, you said, is a labor of love. But then it becomes just like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing?
1: Well, yeah, like there's that example of like you waiting online to get into like a theater and or a band, and the line's really, really long, and you don't know whether to get off the line or get back on the line, and you've already been waiting, and you just don't know if you're going to get in. It's the same kind of thing. You don't know if you're going to finish your doc, and you just really have to have faith that you will finish it. So, what prompted
0: you then to start being working in documentary?
1: I actually studied narrative filmmaking, experimental filmmaking, and documentary as an undergraduate, and I have done a bit of all of it. But what I really like about the documentary is just that it's not as stressful, and you can do it without getting any funding. You can just pick up and start and do it. And that really is great. And I think the other thing I really like about it is that a lot of things work, that if you don't get an interview, if you don't get a shoot that works out, you always can do it over. And you can, there's a lot of wiggle room for mistakes, which I just like that element of it being less stressful. So, is that, bad? Is <laughs> well, that I,
0: bad? I've never heard. That it ha- it, it did happen. No big deal.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, there's. Well, you can. I mean, in the sense that if you make a narrative film, if you don't get a scene or your one actor does a poor performance, your film is done. Right. It's, it, over. it's over. It's okay. just literally over. And you have to get so many elements together over a three, four period of weeks of time that and the weather can be bad. It is so stressful making narrative filmmaking. So comparatively, a documentary, there's a lot of people who can interview you with you. There's a lot of B-roll you can get. There's a lot of ways to tell the story. So it's all of that that has been just really um, attractive to me.
0: Okay. okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's more. You're, so it, it's it's more of the collage aspect. Yeah, as I really. To, let's write a script and do it.
1: And it's just, quite frankly, I hate to, to say it. It's just pragmatic. Like the women directing films, it, it, it's like. 0.1% or I mean, it's like ridiculous numbers, like of women getting to direct and raise the money. So even, even in documentary, it, there's a lot more room to do that as a woman, but it's still the big names. When you think about them, it's going to be, what is it? Michael Moore, right? right. Errol Morris, yes, like yeah. all the big names are always men still. I just felt for myself that that's where I would have best room to fly. And okay. it, it was a good call, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, cause you've had two major documentaries Um,
1: Yeah. Well, one really major, and then uh, I've worked on... Um, Welcome to the Neighborhood. That's Pam Uzel's documentary, too, who teaches here, who I think you should also interview. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's another documentary. So I I helped her with hers and I worked on the Occupy Wall Street Mm. collaborative documentary. Is that the one you're thinking about? Yes, that was another one I was involved in. And then the one that I really just went to bat for was The Cult of J.T. Leroy.
0: Which I watched and was completely fascinated by. The only time I stopped it was to go to the bathroom and to get more stuff to chew on and go, I can't believe that happened.
1: It's a crazy story. I mean, the story in in of itself is just so crazy.
0: We'll dive a little bit deeper into that because that is a fascinating piece and world in and of itself outside of just how to do documentary. But that does set up some of those initial questions of when you're going to start a documentary, do you start with someone else's idea or an emotional idea or... Something you want to explore? How do you do choose it. a documentary path? a
1: really good question, actually. For myself and what I do encourage my students is to pick something that they're going to ultimately be passionate about because the process has so many bumps in it and it's tedious as well. And I do think it's that passion or need to want to communicate something that's going to drive you and give you the like, you know, the fuel to finish it. Because, I mean, there's a lot of documentaries that get started that they just don't make it past the editing. Sure, sure. Like, I, I think know. we've
0: all, and myself included, have been yeah. involved yeah. in a lot.
1: Right. I mean, and so, as and granted, I have people approaching me with their topics, yeah. too. Okay. Okay. And, you know, honestly, it's just I'm so well aware of the amount of time it takes, especially a feature, that unless it was something I was really, really interested in, I couldn't devote it. It wouldn't be fair to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where... I'm out with that okay. too. Yeah. Does that mean it's just time-consuming? What I even say to my students too: editing is watching footage. There's no way to edit without sitting through footage and really watching and listening and observing it a lot. And that's just time-consuming in and of itself. There's just no way around that.
0: Right, and then you know magically you have it transcribed, if right? You magically right. right. You exactly. Have it all broken up into and clips, it's, and it's
1: money. Just even if it's like. Amazing. We'll get to some of your other questions, but your time is money. So you're sitting there is money. So it's sort of like, even though we have access to the tools, which is phenomenal, and I'm not cynical about that at all. It's just still your you have to eat and you have to live. So you have to pay rent. So there you go, you know
0: you know, so many people forget that documentary is really a freelance job, a full-time freelance job, and you have to usually have a full-time job anyway if you're even gonna attempt to doc.
1: When I was making The Cult the J.T. Leroy, also had two young children. I've got
0: one kid now, and I can barely handle it.
1: I knew that I had to get funding for it, or I couldn't do it, because I can't do, I can do two jobs, I can't do three. I couldn't do another job, raise kids at nap time, like, you know, (laughs) make a documentary film. That was, like, impossible. And it was a challenge, but I did it. And honestly, once you have funding, it's a lot easier. OK. A lot okay. easier. We'll come back to funding because okay. that
0: I'm sure that, it's that's a, a whole, whole other Another um, whole yeah, rabbit hole, right? Yeah, because I mean, you know, that's the one was like, and how did you get money? And, I know. Can call them now?
1: Trust me, there wasn't like a
0: dinner party I didn't go to for a while <laughs> where people was like, who were your investors? <laughs> so where's this magic pool of dentists that like to invest? Right, in exa- movies? <laughs> exactly, exactly. When you want to choose a documentary, you want to be passionate about it. What is your personal bent or personal genre focus when it comes to documentary? What, what's the what, story? What makes me tick? Yeah, what? May, yeah, what's the story you dig?
1: I'm kind of into holding truth to power, if you want. So I guess, like, Michael Moore is someone who's inspired me, in a sense. Like, I saw his documentaries when I was young. Like, Roger and me, I saw right as I was graduating, undergraduate. And I thought, that's something I could do, maybe. Because it was, like, raw cinematography. Sure. It just seemed, like, doable. It wasn't
0: BBC. It wasn't wasn't, wasn't National Geographic.
1: Right. So that kind of just was, for me, an inspiration. And I think that's what I try to... Although I think we make better crafted films here, actually. We're teaching something tighter than I was... Initially, ever taught myself. I think that what's amazing is that we can do that now. That you can just pick up a camera, you can pick up the audio, and you can go out there and discover yeah, and right, find so a you story. Can pick
0: up your phone, which is actually getting better and better. You, you absolutely
1: can pick up your phone, which is amazing. You really can pick up your phone, like you really can, and it, it's shooting in four K, which yeah. is just
0: like. And you can buy a little teeny microphone and a yep, little clip on, and, and, and I have two go.
1: of them now. So that's <laughs> like I, I actually think that's great. I'm part. Of, I think a lot of people that really believe in the evolution of consciousness of filmmaking. You know, that by telling stories and looking at how they mirror us, we learn about ourselves psychologically, we create empathy. And that's really, I guess, would be my North Star or whatever that I'm trying to drive for. Like I think that you can go around the world and see these same kind of human stories that and you see our similarities and you know push us us to being ideally global citizens even though um, what I learned was very different with the cult of JT Leroy that was just like a rabbit hole and I had a very different experience than what I initially <laughs> went into so that was I guess you know a learning experience yeah. or
0: whatever you know well let's get into that one because the the cult of JT Leroy in and of itself, your documentary is fascinating as a standalone product. And then now, I hate saying product. Let me. Forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A standalone film. Like, yeah. Product sounds so evil. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that story has grown, and now we had a, a second major documentary, and now a feature film that came out last year. Let's put them to the side and and start with. How did that project come to you and what was your interest in that story?
1: And I'll just say before I start that you can actually watch the film on Canopy through the Academy of Art. Okay. So that so if anyone hearing this does Absolutely. want to watch we'll put it. The link. So that one started because I was actually a social worker at the time working with the formerly homeless mentally ill in San Francisco's tenderline mm-hmm. neighborhood. And so a friend of mine just said to me, you know, you have got to find out about this writer J.T. Leroy, can you come to Los Angeles and start filming this project with this other photographer? It'll be right up your alley. Like literally like what I said, he says it's this Burroughs-esque poet. So I was interested in poetry. And so I was just like, sure. I I wasn't doing anything that entire weekend. Had a whole weekend (laughs) open, nothing planned. I was like, I got a weekend. How hard can it be? Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll get on a plane and go to Los Angeles. So there was a degree of just sort of kismet you know like, like just that sort of synchronicity that the project fell in and it was you know a tale that i thought that was about more redemption and healing and someone go who went through you know hard times we
0: definitely want people to watch the film because we could spend forever talking All right, about it's it.
1: a it's a total rabbit's
0: hole, the Burroughs s aspect, the 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 story, the you know yeah, it the glitterati surrounding it. it. It was like a perfect storm of,
1: but I'll tell you my takeaway, which I think is a real metaphor for mm-hmm. the the political times we're living in, is that, like we can do good. We can educate, we can heal. But people will take advantage of people. And how do we stop that? And like, what does that look like? And, just sort of like we can kind of live in our own world of being good or kind and so forth. And then other people take advantage of that kindness. And they're doing it at obviously a pretty rapid rate. You know, whether we can put this metaphor towards the climate, you know, we could put this metaphor in a lot of different directions of people just
0: exploiting one another. And this story goes. I'm, I'm not spoiling it at this no, point. No, no. It's that, out there. <laughs> that, um, you know, your subject, which is a fascinating subject, a lot of people are interested into it. You are part of, you know, in, in your documentary, people use the word Warholian a lot. You're into this whole swirling.
1: Kaleidoscope. Yeah, of, yeah. You
0: know, all those fun terms of of this great story. And then it turns out to be bogus. Yeah. At that point, what do you as the documentarian do when you find out it's bogus?
1: I I was just completely in shock. I was just amazed. So my initial instinct was just to actually write a thank you to Stephen Beachy, who's in my documentary, who uncovered the story. And I just said, wow, you just resolved like a very unresolved experience in my life. And then he was actually the one who said to me, oh, my God, you're sitting on footage. You've got to reopen this documentary right now. Right,
0: because he'd written the New York Times article. And he was, uh, the, the, yeah,
1: the New York Magazine. So he New was York just, magazine. so he was like, you should just start this process right now. You are really well positioned to tell this story. And I hadn't even thought about reopening it. Like, I was just sort of like, it, the footage had just sat in my closet for a number of years. I didn't know, you know, you have a lot of footage you shoot. Sure, yeah, And sure. just don't know what, you, and so then he, um, I reached out to, quote unquote, JT Leroy. I reached out to her partner, Astor And then he gave me a bunch of contacts. And I started reaching out to those people. And they just it kind of started falling and, you know, Snowballing I mean, from there. And then
0: it just becomes its, the, a new life. And, and then there totally was a lawsuit. Direction.
1: And then, you know what I mean? It was just keeps t- going. And then it, the economy crashed. So then people are not really investing in independent yeah. documentaries with a, a crashed economy. That was like 2008 or right. so. Again, the hard drive sat literally for a couple of years while, you know, I had to work.
0: Yeah. For sure. And that, that that's kind of you know, even without that fascinating story, that is kind of a part and parcel for a documentary. Right. You're gonna keep going, keep going, and then you're gonna stop. Right. You're gonna keep going some more, right. And it's never gonna pan out.
1: It feels like a sheer miracle when it's finished, I have to say. <laughs> it really does. It feels like a lot of gods yeah. lined up and just said, Okay, here you go, you know. But it was definitely a crazy ride.
0: With that particular documentary. Just briefly walk us through what your plan was while you were recording it and then what it became after.
1: Right. So, like, initially, I was telling this story about someone from the street, basically, in a sort of a redemption story. And then it just became really sort of, I think, like an American tale. You know, like sort of this American tale about around celebrity, identity, and sort of sociopathy ultimately.
0: Because you come in, you know you want to tell tell the story of somebody interesting which is how a lot of documentaries start. We have this great story. You've got redemption, a hero. Celebrities. Celebrities. I mean, mean, the celebrities in this, I have to say it, only because I can sit back and look at this, as many of us do, and go, I could tell what was going on. Right, right. No. No. No one could tell. No one could tell.
1: People say that all the time, and the bottom line is a lot of very smart very jaded people were fooled. I mean, so it was good. Beyond good, because it was like almost like it's just complete craziness as as well, you know?
0: How do you emotionally change your position and your drive? Because before you were looking to help. Right. And not... The opposite of help, but what, what changes I in I know. Emotionally? Well, that took,
1: that took a lot of question, like, what is the greater good of this story? What is it that I'm really trying to do? Because, I mean, a lot of people will recommend, and I absolutely would recommend this, is that you should, like, kind of love your subject, right? You should absolutely, like, I would never want to, ideally, make a film against someone's will. Like, that is not like the first choice that I would have it and I wouldn't recommend it you know what I mean sure. but in this case I think just my hope for some sort of redemption thing got changed to like a love of the truth you know what I mean and just really feeling other people's confusion and pain around the topic and Sort of like it was before even the idea of just like Me Too, but the idea that people who were on the receiving end or victimized by someone, they have a right to be able to speak about that process. And you realize that a lot of people are conned and most people who are conned run away because they feel shame. But I was lucky in that it was a lot of writers who were just like incredibly mega articulate, you know? So they, they and and they want publicity and notoriety of, of all the time anyway. Yeah. So it was a good mix there that you could get people to actually talk about it as well. That well, that was
0: something that I thought that was interesting that came up in the doc where you have writers talking about writers and how they're all, you know, their goal is to create this perfect storm of something salacious something interesting and we have to network and we have to talk about it and then you come in as the salacious moment is coming going all right guys sit down and talk here's your moment
1: the fact that jt Leroy was originally a hustler Mm -hmm. like a prostitute and you just sort of like realize this whole thing is also this meta for this artist as hustler and then i could feel like an artist as hustler so i mean that was really a hard part of it is just it felt like a haunting hall of mirrors at all times making the film, a friend of mine who's Buddhist said, God, it just sounds like an exhausting amount of mindfulness. Well, that's what I told you to ask you. <laughs> I was like, just like, holy hell, it
0: was, right? <laughs> like, when you finished therapy for you,
1: it was crazy. It was really, I mean, It was so slow going that I could think through. But I mean, on the topic, some of the other questions is that I almost was working with a and E. I I was almost working with HBO. I had all these moments, you know, and that was part of it too, where I really had to constantly choose, again, money or the love of truth. You know what I mean? Because there's a way that we know that things can shift, right? To tell a story. It's what's the most compelling narrative. And how does
0: that work in every documentary or any story that you're telling when you start to edit stuff together? Especially over time where you have long stretches between filming. You start chopping up your pieces going, I've got my story here. I've got my story A, my story B, my story D. Right. I think I can manufacture this. But we don't want to manufacture. How do you? How do you do th- well, keep that straight? Well, that's really why people who are
1: directing films hire editors. You know, and that's how you keep that emotion at bay. I think a little bit. You know, I mean, in this case, I edited a two-hour version. I think of my film, and then I hired an editor, which is money again. Sure. That's where yeah. it takes money again. I when the gods part, I mean the God, heavens part, they, they part. So it, it lined up. That's a really important relationship that I discussed with students a lot. So after editing my two hour film, I gave the, that to Josh Melrod, this editor. And so he knew where I was coming from and he took out footage and he put in footage. And he helped craft the film.
0: So someone who's not emotionally involved involved at all. Exactly.
1: I was thankful. And he helped create what I ultimately wanted to create. And my biggest intention, or one of them, is that I really wanted to make a documentary that was an active viewing experience, as we put it. That you had to consider the information as you received it and kind of figure out well, what makes sense for you? What's right or wrong? Almost taking like an ethical Rorschach test. Like, huh, that's a good point. Well, that's a good point. And, and, and that's a good point. And, and successful
0: and in this documentary, for sure. I kept waiting for somebody to tell me how to think. what to, Yeah, exactly. Right. No, and,
1: no, one, no one said anything. And that's what I didn't want. I, like, I really wanted convincing, conflicting opinions. Because that's Like, that's life, too, right? And then – but ultimately, I do have a point of view, and it does come through. And I think that point of view is back to what I was saying, is that, you know, whatever your special situation is, your mental illness, your challenges in life – You don't have the right to hurt people or take advantage of people. You just don't, you know, because we all have stories and some people have worse stories than others. It's back to this whole idea of just with documentary in general is like do no harm, you know. So I really tried to not cause her any harm, you know, going for her looks or, you know, going for cheap shots.
0: Right. Yeah. No, it was was very respectful, even as it started to. Unravel, <laughs> unravel, and you're like, uh, you know, some of us would be like, okay, now, now we're gonna change tactic, right? Now we're gonna get up in your face, and it was like still very respectful, and it, it was interesting too how all of your other subjects were very respectful. Like, what's going on? How no one seemed to be able to figure figure out why well, how, t- how they felt.
1: It's a perplexing different degrees of emotions because you also blame yourself like you can feel like foolish. Mm. So there's that. And then the interesting thing for me is just how I see after making the film the same blueprint like it's common almost. You know what I mean? Like not not this story and not to the degree or extreme, but like people with a degree of celebrity or money or power and how they can manipulate people you know with money or power or whatever it's always a constant type of con going right. on that we're dealing with so yeah. I, I see it everywhere now it's like i can just feel like oh wow like i'm very sensitive to manipulation put it that way now okay
0: okay i'm gonna stop real quick um
1: we'll get definitely get you some fodder here i mean there's there'll be a lot of
0: oh yeah find your... <clears throat> excuse me um yeah because i yeah really when i was watching it i was just going you gotta be kidding me because that that was the part that was hard for me was um, the celebrities Mm -hmm. and I'm going you especially now you look at some of some of the like uh, Asia Argento and some of these other celebrities you look at like you're going I always
1: knew they were crazy yeah yeah oh totally I
0: always knew
1: or even like is Ben Foster really crying yeah. Like, is he really crying? Right. <laughs> like, is he so moved and, and, that he's really crying right, right now? Right. Like, like, he's, really? <laughs> like, really? Like, really? Like, the work is touching him. Or is he an actor yeah. right,
0: doing his part? You know, you may- So let's take a quick break and let me ask you this question. Are you looking for the right school to get in-demand skills in creative industries? You are invited to our upcoming interactive online open house where you can learn about our over 40 art and design programs, admissions, financial aid, campus life, and more. Our admissions team will also be available via online chat throughout the event to answer whatever questions you may have rsvp today at academyart.edu slash podcast mentioned being more finely attuned to somebody who's not necessarily lying to you but manipulation right and i know from my experience and i'm sure other people who've done a documentary whether it be with family and friends because we kind of start off that way it does seem like you hear the story on camera or on audio And then you hear someone else explain the story and none of the details really match up or they're inflated. Right. So how how do you as a documentarian go through that process of not necessarily fact checking, because I'm sure there's fact checking, but emotional checking?
1: Yeah, um, emotional fact. You have your idea of the story and so you can start creating your biases, right, Mm. towards like – where you think you want it to end up. But what I would do is I would just kind of like, you don't know what anyone's going to really say. So people are going to surprise you when you interview. But what I would do, because I was felt like I was interacting with some greater minds than my own. I mean, these people won like literary prizes in France. I mean, I got like these interviews right. with people that I was just sort of like, okay, like here this we are. He's a published writer. <laughs> this person should be smart. Right. So I would roll those questions I was having from my last interview, I would pose them to my next interview okay. and see how they batted them down mm-hmm. or the things that I was you know, questioning in my own mind and see where it was and, where, and how it – and then what you realize is that there's – people have multiple motivations. There's different levels of truths that almost hang out simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That it's not like, – again, things aren't all black and white for sure. However, what I do, the only black and white is I do think people don't have the right to harm anyone. That's where I would always just come back to. It's like, you don't have the right to steal. You don't have the right to do those things. So it's like, I don't think the writing in and of itself, and that's why I love that kind of up in the air you know what I mean because I think people get something out of a book whatever you know what I mean it's right. not that's really wasn't the big issue for me was the value sure. of the writing like, and I think
0: uh, anything with books it's always your age and your experience changes I mean right how, how many times have you had to read Catcher in the Rye as exactly an example, and then every 10 years you're like eh, uh, right. yes no art please. is ultimately
1: super subjective mm. so like I don't I don't like, that's that. Like, that wasn't the part that was interesting. Like th- it, was, it was interesting to me is that people thought, like, oh, if the writing was good, then it all doesn't matter. That right. was shocking to me. But that's, like, again, the same kind of logic that, like, oh, if so and a predator, or this one raped whoever, but he's a genius artist, Yeah. you know, then it's all a wash. And it's, like, we're not really great at holding that. And in this case, I don't even think the work is good, but I mean, but that even if the work was genius and the person can still do lousy things. And in this case, it just seems there's a lot of good evidence that the books were created through marketing, like she was excellent at marketing. Right. So and there's a very different experience reading a book when you think it's someone's lived experience versus, you know.
0: Manufactured a manufactured
1: story, story that yeah. through a combination of someone's pathos and whatever, you know, but she has studied writing. You know what I mean? Her parents yeah. were educators. Yeah. It's I not a 15 year old who wrote him homeless in the Tenderloin.
0: Right. And that, and that was the whole thing. That, that was, was the whole know, thing. Because there was a lot of um, response that came later in the movie where people were just angry, like, well, no, it wasn't good. Right. And I'm angry, so it's not good. Right. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe it wasn't good. And- it will, no,
1: Stephen Beachy never thought it was good. So I okay. had those people too, and they didn't make it in. They were like, I didn't like the writing then, I don't like the writing now, you know. But then also it's just sort of true. If a writing of a fifteen year old is just sort of judged at a different standard than like a middle aged woman who studied creative writing with parents who were educators. I mean, that's very Different, you yeah, know what I mean? Life experience does have Yeah, value. Yeah, and <laughs> we judge it differently, unfortunately. I mean, we, we we couldn't help but do that, you know? Couldn't help but judge it differently. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> That's where, you know, your vo- you, you were saying your voice gets separated from the documentary right. a little bit. Right, right, okay. oh, totally. Let's get into the concept of making a documentary. Okay. So when you begin with your subject, do you put your emotions on check where where are your is your emotional self when you start a, a documentary? I'm, I,
1: I definitely check out my emotions. I mean in in fact, I've read that journalists are one of the most highly sociopathic groups because they it's really to your advantage to check out your emotions and the, and the people who can do that the best sometimes are on that almost autistic sociopathic or whatever like they're just <laughs> going for their story, you know and they're and they're just sort of like, opportunistic and stuff so I mean there's obviously that extreme but for mine I really try to listen like I really try to just engage in a conversation and really listen actively to what the person's saying you know because I think the thing with documentary is the good ones they're often a lot about discovery you know you just you really don't know what people are going to tell you
0: right that next question of you know for jt for the jt the roy story and then a lot of people doing documentary they tend to go with in a very emotional story anyway that they want to start you know somebody that's marginalized or maybe it's a personal story of, of loss or something that's emotional that's not necessarily negative but it's it's so near and dear to them that it's difficult. How do you suggest people deal get with Get over
1: with that. Well, I mean, again, like that is a strength that it's like this story and it takes a degree of bravery. I mean, I think especially telling a personal story can be really, really scary. And it's not for everyone. Sometimes people do just one. After you did it, you're like, I'm not going to do that again, you know? I think a lot of filmmaking is collaborative. So you do get other people giving you feedback along the way. And then you just have to sort of like put different hats on you know and just view it differently and so forth
0: that's interesting you mentioned collaboration because I know with narrative film we have the writer we right have the director it's that person's vision how right. dare you question it but documentary in your mind is more a collaborative process or at points collaborative I
1: think the wonderful thing about documentary today is that like for my film I could just set up a camera I could put that audio in and I could interview and for maybe half of my interviews, I just did it completely by myself, you know? So that's just great, you know? If you can, and again, it depends on the context of who, like I felt like for some of these interviews, if they're gonna be revealing something emotional and raw, you're gonna be more comfortable with less people around you, you know? So I was definitely thinking about that a lot, but having someone to shoot for you or do audio for you, if you can, like find people to help you or pay them it's fantastic it's okay. much easier it's much less stressful it's not that hard to through time to do it
0: yourself did seem like a lot was you were there it was just a one on one almost fly on the wall conversation mm-hmm. and it did seem to really let your subjects just roll yes
1: I just let them roll like I really did and like I think for them it was almost like a therapy session and I did work in mental health for 10 years so I just like kind of let it be sort of this cathartic I mean the problem with that is you know you still have to watch and edit those tapes and people could go way off tangent so I mean I would always go with questions prepared that you know after that like let's get back on that
0: track yeah you talked about that earlier and, and and that's very much kind of what you're the classes you're teaching is you're teaching editing right and that's a very mysterious yeah world that you know so many people when they start i think in video you start as an editor by default because nobody wants to do it right it's hard yeah
1: It's it's not hard. It's actually really fun, and it's hard at first. Like there's the learning curve of learning the software, but once that's out of the way, I think it's sort of like for some people, it really is like a form of magic. I mean, it's just kind of amazing that what you can do. You know, like crafting and shaping and sculpting time, and you know, just communicating. Like you mean, there's that. I say to my classes, there's that adage like a photo is worth a thousand words. So when you think about it, there's 24 frames a second. Right. Like we're we have a lot of communication going on in even just a three to five minute documentary.
0: Right, because you're you're looking for that emotional reaction, the eye dart, it's, the twitch. Right. Sometimes if it's in in an interview or that perfect moment when that something crosses the screen. Right. And you know that takes a trained eye to look at it, or you can train yourself to do that?
1: I think it it just, yeah, I think you train yourself through time. You know what I mean? You definitely just, you start out, and you can start with this, like, doing 30 seconds, a minute, and then you build up. I think, obviously, some people naturally have a sense or intuitive sense Mm -hmm. about what's a good image or, you know. But I think people absolutely can learn it. I, I I think, you know, people would never think when someone's a doctor that you just naturally can do medicine, right? I mean, but someone might be naturally more empathetic or humanistic or in some sense, and that makes them a better doctor. Mm -hmm. So I think it's almost the same thing. I think a lot of people actually, quite frankly, a lot of them are hacks. People are just don't have that much, you know, else going on, Mm -hmm. but I think everyone can learn those skills.
0: It's interesting. I don't think it's that harsh. No, no, no. no, 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 no. (laughs) And and that's (laughs) that's the truth, though. I mean, mean, I've edited and a lot of people have edited. And um, when you see somebody who is an editor, that's what it says on their business card, not cameraman, editor, photographer, sound guy, jack of all trades, but editor. You're like, oh, you're telling a story. Yes. And that is very... Very difficult yes. for a lot of people, if not right. all of us.
1: And that's also training, like to really get it. Like, I mean, I say it to my students right off the bat, like it's like you need a character, you need an environment, and you need a conflict. And if you got those like in the beginning you, and you just introduce them, the rest practically naturally unfolds. It sort of is organic mm-hmm. if you just follow those things. Like if you introduce a conflict, well, what happened to that conflict? It can be taught. Is okay. really, and then um, just to like address there was one at the beginning. I just wanted to say like I am so not cynical about <laughs> the state of media. You know, right now like yeah. I'm thrilled with social media and the internet and the forms of communication. I mean, granted it's hard to make a documentary and get it out into distribution. Mm-hmm. That's tricky, and there are you know some number of funders and so forth. But the fact that We don't have to get all our news. Like when I was growing up, what was it, like four cable channels telling us what to think right now.
0: And they were slightly less biased. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the fact that our media isn't controlled by that anymore is really exciting. Like I feel like there is that, you know quote-unquote, you know, people think it's a fantasy, but it has been democratized, you know, and that these you can take an iPhone, you can just get Adobe Premiere and make something that looks good. Like, you really can, and people are doing it, like, you know, with these short videos through social media. Well,
0: it does seem now that, that having a camera in the shape of a phone in your face is far less... Angry and aggressive than having an actual camera. Absolutely,
1: it's definitely not quite as abrasive or as obvious, or or we're used to them. You know, I mean, you can walk in anywhere with a phone. You know, want to make films and videos. It takes a certain sort of patience, right? Because there's a lot of steps you have to import it. I mean,
0: it's not. There is there is button chair. Mm -hmm. Sit down. Work work. Lots of it.
1: People and then like you're a machine too, and like you're gonna press a button, and it just sort of like comes out like a fax or something, and it's just not that at
0: all. Come back in 20 minutes, your movie's done.
1: No, it's like thousands and thousands of decisions you yeah. know, that you're making.
0: And thousands of hours of footage. Thousands of hours. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so that's, that's the other thing with digital video, because I started shooting in film. You can shoot too much, yeah. and then that just becomes more work to log and watch. Yeah. So you, it's like shooting with intention and shooting for your compositions is still really important.
0: I know I'm not the only person who probably has a box of DV tape somewhere with that unfinished story.
1: And you should get them transferred because they degrade. I know.
0: There's, I've got hard drives that you I'm have sure to. Are, are you have to. Out.
1: You should get them transferred. I'm serious because after like a certain number of years, they fall apart. So just a little warning there.
0: Yeah, yeah. As technology changes, you have to upgrade. You yeah. are forced to. So you talked about, as far as the skills you need to learn to do documentary, you can learn to edit, you can learn to tell a story. But you talked about, and a lot of artists we've talked to have have mentioned empathy. And that seems so new to me from my background, or at least a change in our society where we're now thinking empathetically about what we're doing as opposed to how can I be the coolest. Uh-huh. That's an interesting, I don't know that's a lot an interesting of, a lot of question. people are saying empathy even from industrial designers I'm going empathy well, that's a big scary Yeah, word. well maybe
1: it is that our emotional intelligence is rising. And again I th- think some of this is the transparency of social media and the internet that for a long time we have been in sort of a very individualistic mode. I mean I guess that's also another theme of the documentary but we've been kind of set up against each other to always compete for sure and that's one of the things that I really like about teaching my classes that I really do want to nurture collaboration because films and videos are done often in collaboration even in the sense that you never really put one out without multiple people watching it and giving you feedback because you can't catch things even if it's just your grammar you know what I mean I mean we're at a very specific point in time in history, right, where the world's kind of going off yeah. the, we, we, the edge.
0: We've 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 moved the curtain and seen the wizard right. so many times now that right. we push the wizard out of the way. So
1: feeling for other people, other people's pain. I mean, every I think a lot of people. There's a lot of people coming from all sorts of situations with their own suffering. But then I think. That helps people understand other people's as well. And I think the more we kind of realize our interconnection, that's great. I think that's really what the answer is in many ways, you know.
0: When you're starting to do collaboration or you're doing a project, your idea is your own, but chances are somebody else has a very similar idea or the exact same idea or even a competing idea. How do you keep on track or do you start reaching out? How, it's what? kind
1: of a nightmare <laughs> quite <laughs> okay. frankly it, it kind of is because that's what happened with me actually. Yeah. I mean in my case, I had access to footage that everyone wanted mm-hmm. and I had my own point of view. so that I, I kind of in my own you know paranoia or whatever felt like they really weren't interested in me and they really weren't as a director at that time you know I didn't have enough, Previous work that people are going to sink two million dollars. Yeah, I mean, to get two million dollars invested in you, they're going to give you tons of producers and their editors, and they want your footage. So I had my documentary in motion and funded, and that's when I found out that there was going to be this competing documentary. And then people did. I was invited to go to a meal with. Literally six men who all have millions of dollars, right? And talk about merging my film with the other film. And I was just like, I don't want to merge my film. And um, because it was the opposite point of view. It was like the inverse. Like here we, we were going to have like a corporate funded documentary from the point of view of the person who inflicted harm, in my opinion. Okay. And That's, I, that's, that's odd. Right. And then the people were saying this would be like the perfect storm. And it, maybe it could have been, it, but it wasn't going to happen. I didn't see foresee how there was gonna be a way for me to get my point of view in within that context.
0: You would have just been swallowed up swallowed
1: up and I could sense it, you know what I mean? So yeah so I just kept going and held my own and I don't think they took me seriously. I think they started freaking out later on because my film did well. And they were really, like, it was, you know, getting awards and it was doing the whole festival circuit. And I think they were sort of alarmed that, like, here I was, just, you know, one woman from San Francisco, you know, working. <laughs> how dare you? Make how dare it, and then, you? you know, against this, like, you know, literally. The machine. Of, of, yeah, you know, literally of, a budget of how many times? Like five times the amount of my film
0: Oh, that's, yeah.
1: In a way, there's fed mine, and it's, yeah. it's, it's okay. I mean, I think the docs speak for themselves. So, I mean, it doesn't, it's not really a threat, per yeah. se. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, but I, you... I never
1: thought it was, actually, in that way. I even told her when she was trying to shut mine down, I said, why don't you make a film? Make a film from your point of view. Like, that's what I just encouraged her right off mm-hmm. the bat. Who she? Laura Albert, J, JT. Right. I was like, go for it. You make your own film, you know, okay. but, you know, you don't have the right to shut me down.
0: I think it was probably in the last couple of minutes. I think something that always sticks out with me, and, and, and I'm going to cut this, but I have to say it. Anytime anybody says they're punk rock is when I want to go, stop, right, right. stop. I'm 42. Nobody in this room is punk rock. Right. I'm not punk rock. You're not punk rock. Right, right. There's 12 people on earth who were punk rock. Stop.
1: I mean, that was so great because you just got to see her in motion. Mm. You got to see her manipulation in motion, like just being like, and I was this, like, and just like, I mean, you just get to watch her machinations. Yeah, yeah, it really, she, she, that's what it really boils down to. It's just sort of like, I always have really tried to see the good in people, and this was really intense and a challenge and hard. And what happened even, and this can be cut as well, but like, it was really fascinating to me because even when it came out, like there'd be points that like I would be manipulated again, like almost gaslighted by the media around her, and I thought, well, maybe she is just like this mentally ill woman, and maybe, maybe I have been kind of harsh, and then I'd get a journalist sending me like fact checking, like for something. And I'd get to see her responses, and this is years later, and it's just lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. And you're just like, holy moly. Like, people lie. And I think good people don't really get. Now we've got it. Yeah. Now we're getting it as a culture because we have – someone who is doing a, quite a bit of that yes, in action. We <laughs> so we're getting it, but people lie. And yeah. that was a big, like, I think we think people tell the truth. Generally speaking, that's what we think. Mm-hmm. And it's not the case. So, then- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone lies to a degree. I'm not sure, saying we all bend absolutely. the truth, we all forget things, but I'm talking about systematically, strategically mm-hmm.
0: lying. Again, when you watch the the documentary and then anything afterwards, it just seems like the most painful process to go through. <laughs> Both on production and everybody involved, it's like, this is the most. You could not pick a pile of subject matter that was going to be the most heinous and, and, and it's like, <laughs> it was dark Very it dark. was dark
1: it was a ride I I really had to do as I'm saying a lot of reflection it was a real hard journey almost to the point like why what's going on like how did I even get caught and embroiled in this you know what I mean like what is the point of this like you just you can't help but sort of stop so how did
0: you not quit how did I not quit? Just disco. Well, screw back to well, back to that thing.
1: It just I felt like I had this documentary. I had worked on it. Like the first time, it was with that moment with Stephen Beachy, and mm-hmm. he encouraged me. But then I had it shot. Like mm-hmm. a lot of those interviews you sh- saw were completely shot. Then I had all the trial documents. So I had that Dr. Owens
0: yeah. talking Which was, was just that was fascinating.
1: Fascinating. So quite honestly i just my mind wouldn't let it go Like i just thought it was so interesting and it was so challenging to me like i just felt really deeply challenged by the topic and on a very even personal level i just found it really interesting because i think i would be someone generally to not care if someone's a woman and they're mentally ill I would write that off.
0: Be, I think most people yeah, would. Just That's want to a just challenge that. Maybe not everybody even wants to think about taking, right. Let alone actually take.
1: Right. So that was where that was the challenge for me to think, huh? Like, but she was being really aggressive too, and so then I was like, wow, like this is really not what I'm used to. Not what I'm used to being on the receiving end of. So I, that was also interesting, just to have someone really act out in a way that you're just like, huh. And then honestly, it's it's back to this issue that I think people are getting more aware of. If people, if bullies aren't stopped, they continue. Do you know what I mean? People mm. who act out on people, like it would be the next thing. Do you know what I mean? It would be the, like people keep, just snowballing, and they, they need boundaries. Yeah. So in a way, this was sort of like a, like a massive intervention, kind of for the public. I mean, there's people who wrote their articles, but I think having a, a documentary on the topic that sort of is pretty extensive on it kind of just also holds its own.
0: That does bring a, a, up to that topic that can be contentious between the people who are involved in it. So you have almost three groups of people. You have journalists. Right. You have documentarians, then you have this people kind of walking around like me who do marketing right. <laughs> or PR. <laughs> I'm telling truths in forms, But when you have journalism and you're talking about you have journalists writing stories, journalists telling things, and then you have a documentarian, what's the difference between a journalist and somebody making a documentary? It's a
1: really good question. I actually teach in my classes, all the different forms of documentary. We do the survey. So there's, there's a lot of, documentary is an umbrella term for a mm-hmm. lot of different documentaries. And so, but off the bat, one of the big differences I would say is that documentaries often are done, not always, because now they're, they're spitting them out, right? They're being spit out. There's analysis in a certain way okay. that is going on through time. So the fact that this story we get to walk it back through a ten year period is very different if we were to just create that in two thousand and twenty. Like if you couldn't see that earlier footage, you know, you wouldn't be able to really get how people were heard or portrayed. Like it wouldn't have the depth, you know,
0: of just specifically an article, a newsprint article or so forth. I'm sorry to interrupt because like an article, you know, what you're saying is it's there. It's right there. now, it happened this week. All the information up to now. What we call I'm topical, it. right? There we go. Right. There we, a real word. Topical, right. right?
1: So there. So, but with a documentary, ideally, something formed through time has that level of reflection in it. Has that level of analysis in the, it. The hindsight. The hindsight in it, and I think, in a sense, my documentary is still. I did keep journalist practices where I did. Sure. I didn't pay people, and I was looking for the truth. You know what I mean? In that sense, so. So, but I think there's, again, lots of forms of documentaries. Some are just like, for instance, like a Bob Dylan documentary, Don't Look Back, is what we would call observational, okay. where you're just trailing after him. Yeah. And then those documentaries have value because they're just for preservation and as a witness and you get to see an era. And, you know, it's, that has a lot of value. Yeah. It, and, I mean, those va- documentaries also work very well with people who are famous you know because like, we, we care about them but yeah. even still like the Maisels brothers have done one on salesmen or like yeah. um they've done these old films to your you know the gray gardens of mm. the kennedys i mean right. so like anything through time again can really and that's why documentaries often take a number of years right. besides the funding
0: right and you know, we always have you know the ken burns world yes. of that whole thing of we're going to spend almost as long As the real event took. Oh, totally. Well,
1: trust me. Mine did take. Jt was a a eleven year operation. Mine was took over about ten years to make. I didn't work on it ten years, but still. But it was over a ten year period of stopping and starting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a long long, long emotional, time. physical investment.
1: Long. Like, I remember when it fell apart initially, I was like, Ooh, phew! I'm out of that one. Like, I don't want to deal with celebrities and like all the egos. I was like, that's not really me in my world. And then it was like, okay, here, it came back. But then honestly, the irony for me is when the economy collapsed, I was able to find funding for my documentary before I could find a job that would huh. be good for me with having small children. Right. So documentary did provide that. That's pretty rare. That alone. <laughs> is exactly. Amazing. So what I'm that saying really, that, was, really that was weird. I was able to find it and work from home and still kind of be in and out. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of jobs, you know, you're required to be somewhere a, g- a great deal of hours.
0: Yeah, you actually have to show up. I guess like freshly here, I guess. bathed. Right, exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> bathed and ready to go. All right, <laughs> I'll
0: put on shoes and socks today. Fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when does a documentary venture into that world of experimental film and is that a dangerous thing or are they two separate things?
1: I do show experimental films in my class too. Sometimes it's just great to see what's going on there on an imagination level and just realize how much our visual sense, I don't want to say colonized, but has been controlled Mm -hmm. by just what we've seen previously. I think more and more you can see experimental elements in documentary films, but it really depends on what your end goal is. I mean, if you can do anything now on the internet, but the trick really is about distribution. And that often has to do with who you can get as a producer and what, again, people do a festival circuit and that can often lead them to distribution, but not always, you know, but now you can just put it up there. You can get your film on the internet, you know, but it's still about then you're fighting, for people to watch your film like right. to get eyes on your actual film.
0: eyes watching your yes. film is, is So experimental
1: is, is a big umbrella too because I mean I think sometimes people think anything goes with experimental but I personally think a lot of experimental that's good is still highly communicative in everything like I've shown Jay Rosenblatt's films okay. they're pretty brilliant
0: yeah. you know Kenneth Anger stuff is like Right is that documentary? Is yes. It, is, is exactly. It, is it not? Yes. No. It
1: kind of yeah. And I I mean I like all that. I have done that kind of stuff too. And it's it's a different end game. You know what I mean? Because it's just the audience is smaller. But the audio. I mean, but again, there is an audience. You know, there's a lot of people who just love that. But it comes down to like. You know, like, my husband does experimental music, and they're, like, in their own little
0: world, you know what I mean, <laughs> doing experimental
1: music. You know, it becomes, like, a little bit more insular, right, yeah, you know? Yeah.
0: So. You're preaching to a very specific yes,
1: choir it, that So So the, there's the, the levels of all of that, you know, with the form you choose.
0: Do you think that documentary should be required? Because it does seem that no matter what type of art form we have, it's almost like the very first – assignment is, go home and take pictures of your friends, or go home and take a self-portrait.
1: It's actually a prerequisite for a comm class, and it's like, I get a lot of the first semester first classes. What I think is nice about it, or why people should, it has so many potentials that could overlap with someone's life, you know what I mean? So even if they're gonna edit their friend's birthday party, you know what I mean, to business they're starting, you know, if they you wanted to make a promotional. Ad for a business, just, or you know something newsworthy. I mean, there's just so much value, and it's not that hard. You definitely get that out of after. I don't think you could, anyone could walk through and finish the class without getting. What, the basics, to okay. do something for themselves. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes is sense. that a question you're asking yeah, or not really? Well,
0: yeah, because I mean, that, that's actually a different question of, you know, there's a lot of work out there for documentarians. I grew up in L.A., so everybody wants to work in film. Right. One of the first documentaries that you do or you try to convince somebody to let you do is, let me do a behind the scenes of right, how this right, is made. Right, right. Which, again, used to be a really good job. That was the great gig. It's like, hey, then they'll give me a movie if I make a really good one. No, they right, won't. Right. No, they won't. <laughs> they no, they it's not. very hierarchical and yeah. you will
1: pay your dues for 50 years yeah
0: right? <laughs> you are the BTS guy for life right exactly um, do you think that documentary should be taught for everyone for every art form
1: you mean like in like public schools yeah. like yeah. yeah yeah I sure I never thought about whether that I'm, I guess it is sort of marginalized in a sense as a form right and I think I've just taken that for granted so that's really interesting to think about it not being you know what I mean like yeah. everyone being taught the way that we were taught writing right, right. Sure, I, I I think ideally in a, like a democratic society, everyone would have learned how to do it and have access to it, so that the people who have a passion for it have that voice. Does that make sense? Make sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And that, again, these are just my questions. No, so, no, no, yeah. no.
1: Does that make? Is that what, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no right. right yeah. Or wrong yeah. There, so okay. These are just these are. But just am questions. I
1: answering the question, or well, is it more know, like something nuanced?
0: So when I went to school, you know, you know every, in high school, I got into photography. Right. And that's the first thing you got to do is go home and take pictures of your family. Right. Uh, that's then, enjoyable. And like then that. film, you know, you start doing video, go home and take a picture, go shoot a video of your, of your family. Family, okay. Uh, and then you get into college, it's like, you know, find a family story. And then right. you look at a lot of the docs that have become well-known, it's always a family-based or a familial unit. You know, it's, you're dealing with, like, right. even in your documentary, Crum or something, too. Yeah, yeah. Cr- you know, Crum or J.T. Leroy, there's yeah. a family. Or even if we're not going to go into something that has a scary, dark thing, it's yeah, a yeah. happy family. Families, yeah, yeah. You're always documenting. No, on, even documenting for
1: Sama, on. that's the one that was up for an Oscar, which is okay. amazing. It was right. about a family unit in
0: Syria. And then it comes into selfies and, right. and streaming yourself live and stuff. That it seems like the documentary aspect. Maybe should get taught more. the The proper storytelling should be.
1: Oh, oh, you. I get I what know. you're saying. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That's definitely interesting because it's almost like I think it's the same. It's like not that different than learning to write an essay. I see it pretty similarly. Like there's chapters. You know, you're you're, you're looking for scenes, which are like a chapter. So you're really trying to set things up the same way as okay. learning to write an essay. I think it's just new the technology. I think we're not even there yet. Like really, really? I think. For instance, I don't think all the schools have media departments. True. You know what I mean? Like, and even there's not that many, for instance, to get the kind of education that I'm teaching here. I don't think there's even that many schools in San Francisco that teach what I'm teaching.
0: Yeah, I don't even think in high school they teach. No. No, there's
1: maybe a couple private schools that do, but there's not that many places to go to actually learn short-form documentary that I've discovered or seen. I may be wrong. You know what I mean? There may be a couple, like a few other art schools. But even like the San Francisco Art Institute, it's more experimental. I don't know what's going to be. I don't think yeah. it exists anymore. Do I? <laughs> oh,
0: <yeah. laughs> We're the only ones left. <laughs> no, but there's not
1: – I don't think there's that many places that are teaching it.
0: Like that's – so I feel like it is kind of a – A dying art that seems to never go away.
1: Almost. Well, it's, yeah, well, I don't know. I just think it's – I think it's burgeoning. I don't think okay. it's dying. Okay. I actually think it's just people are catching up with the technology. I mean, it's been kind of still expensive, yeah. way buying cameras or sure, the computers. Yeah. So I think people are just sort of catching up. And now people have the software and they have the computer and they may have the phone. And there's a big gap from having those tools mm-hmm. to actually learning the craft of how to do it. So there's it's just that yeah, it's, divide. It's
0: still a process to learn. It's, yes. Okay. It, well,
1: there's a lot to it. I mean, we're teaching everything from the audio to the cinematography, to storytelling, and then Adobe Premiere, how to edit it. So mm-hmm. it's quite a number
0: of things. Yeah, it's not you just know. flip on the camera and go. No, no. So there's a lot of layers. So tell me about some of the projects you've worked on that just went away. So maybe some of your um, work for hire.
1: I have done some work for hire. And you know, I prefer working on my own projects, of course. Mm -hmm. Just I try to pick things that, because it's still my life, you know what I mean? So I I try to have do things that are still of interest to me. So like, I've done things on healthcare, basically, like, preventative health for diabetes or healthy living. I've also worked with immigrant rights activists Mm -hmm. and creating videos, you know, just about ICE and awareness around those topics. I often just do things for people kind of specifically that they're asking me on on a smaller scale. But I'm not really one to get too involved in like long projects that are going to take up too much of my life and time. I enjoy teaching. Like, I'd rather, if I'm going to have to pay rent and stuff, I'd rather teach and then have more of my time to
0: work on my own narrative projects and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. So then the big question that always comes up with documentary, how do I get money to do this? I know. It's a good question. Uh, Is it all just luck?
1: It's not. Okay. So there's two things. If you have special access to a certain story, that's going to be a lot. Right. And that was kind of what I had, right? I had this access to this like treasure chest of early footage. So, but there's a lot of people who have, for whatever reason, access to a story. You know what I mean? Like in the case of Forsama, that was up for the Oscars recently. I mean, they were there in Syria in these hospitals while there was chemical, you know, warfare going on. They were witnesses to all this. So their film was really powerful and they just kept documenting. So, again, luck, timing, access. That's one avenue. And then the other is if through time you have a reputation, that's when like HBO, Netflix, or, you know, Showtime, there's about a and E. I'd say there's like four or five corporate entities that fund people who are seasoned, you know, mid-career okay. documentary. But for someone who's new starting out, the thing that's going to be asked is that you make your film kind of practically, to a rough cut stage. Oh, okay. So a rough cut is is pretty fine, too. It's not like, it's something that people can watch. And once you've been able to shoot and get to a rough cut phase, then there's people who might come in, and it's a combination of forces, whether it be you have the time energy to do grant writing, you have the time energy to find a producer who can introduce you to other people, or you just have luck with, someone giving you the money because the things that are expensive near the end of your project is that you want good color correction you want a good audio mix you might want motion graphics and all of that like right at the end of your film can be thousands of dollars
0: and that's any filmmaker even a narrative film they always remind us of that like you have a great story you filmed it but finishing it finishing it is more money than it costs for anything else right
1: it's not uncommon for people to edit Like what I did, like I edited up to a rough cut and then found funding. And you can always feel like it locked to a certain degree, right? I I definitely felt like, oh my God, it was like the luckiest thing ever. You know, I couldn't believe it, you know what I mean? Just to get funding. And that's what allowed me to finish.
0: I think I want to wrap up to a point here. Okay. And I want you to kind of give me then, give me a good recap. Give me some of the the best practices for doing a documentary. What would you tell your student who's going to come to you and go, I have a great idea. I've got great access to this guy. And it's a really good story. And I think it's going to be a really exciting story. And people are going to love it.
1: What I would say is to make sure that you get really good audio. And so that you are shooting somewhere as quiet and controlled as possible when you can to do your interviews. I think people forget how important the audio is.
0: As I check my levels right
1: right When making a documentary, audio is a lot and it's challenging. It's not easy all the time to, it looks easy, but it's not easy. You know, so I would really encourage people to consider their audio, and then I would just encourage them, you know, to follow their passion. I mean, I think there's a lot of good stories being told, and you don't know who's going to really be able to complete it or not, but I've already seen so many of my students make really, really good work that just moves me, and I'm like practically to tears sometimes. Like people are making great work, and it is showing at festivals, and I'm just really impressed because there's a lot that I haven't no one could explore everything in Adobe sure. Premiere. So they're exploring effects and things and just using Adobe, it's endlessly creative.
0: It's like another storytelling. Yes, device.
1: and they're diving in and it's amazing. And again, it just takes that passion and interest and commitment really
0: When it comes to the story, What are some good things to keep in mind when you're trying to tell a story? Other than listening, what would be some advice you'd give somebody when they've got this, I've got this amazing story and this amazing subject?
1: I would encourage people not to talk down or make things less simple than they are. That people like contradictions and hypocrisies and you know, people can sit with them, and that's okay. what's gonna make a good story too, or a challenging story, is that when we don't have everything spoon-fed in a very obvious way. I would also encourage people to really tell their story with images, and that's gonna make it really compelling too, that the images are telling the story. It's not just what people say mm-hmm. that tell the story, and that those images are really going to drive us emotionally. Mm-hmm. And make people feel our story out. But as for what would make a good story, I would say, you know, we have to just sort of trust ourselves. If you like your film, chances are it'll overlap with other people. You know what I mean? So okay. just make a story. Sometimes stories are just entertaining. So make the film that you'd want to watch that you aren't watching. And there's nothing wrong with
0: being an entertaining documentary. Right.
1: Absolutely yeah. not. No, yeah. I love like lots of entertaining documentaries. Yeah. I like lots of different stories, too. I mean, I try not to make everything completely depressing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's always, I think that's always something. That's my next question. What are some documentaries you, know, you should be watching? I think so, so many people always think, or people outside of the documentary filmmaking process when you say i'm going to make a documentary they're like oh you're going to follow something right. really depressing you're going to be okay it's like well, no like,
1: sometimes it could be happy and fun right right i mean and
0: I, and again and I- even your documentary which was dark was no, it there's totally humor there, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Quite honestly, I watched the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. I would probably go to the theater for it, to be sure. honest, but it was interesting. Like, I mean, granted, we all are limited for time and what we watch, so some of that just becomes what we, you know, have quick have, have access. Yeah, yeah, quick access to or something. I mean, I even watch a lot of frontline documentaries. That's what okay. I'm saying for the journalism yeah. stuff. Like, I just watch those because they're free and they're streaming as well. Mm-hmm also the canopy documentaries are good you know what i mean those are more educational as well i don't know if i have an all-time i'm trying to think about like my, my all-time favorite doc i don't know if i do i can't yeah. even answer that question yeah so, yeah you know, i am putting you on a
0: bad spot yeah but it's like well i really like those food docs but are they documentaries yeah they're food doc you know then you know the ken burns vietnam one was the right. most been a long time since i cried right through a no lot i know I mean, well that's
1: back to the empathy yeah do you know what I mean? In fact, that's really, it makes you feel and learn about a, an experience that you just want. I mean, one of the first documentaries I saw was in college and it was just about women in Mexico on a factory line. And again, like recently, American Factory, won the Oscar, right? right? right. It's like seeing that factory work, Mm -hmm. just seeing what that's like. I mean, I think we're really at a point like where people just kind of think those people who do that work are wired differently Mm. than we are, than they are, I mean, you know, or whatever. So seeing people actually sit there on the factory line working Mm. a factory job and how hard that would be is, you know, pretty radical. Do you know what I mean? Just that alone, just watching that process. And you wouldn't be able to get that from just reading about it, mm. right? Or a photo. Yeah. It's just really seeing the day in, day out. One of the things that blew me away was that this um, factory documentary about Mexican factory workers. I remember, like, I was in college and just being like, wow, this, like, again, level...
0: That, that of level ex, of empathy. Ex, yeah,
1: yeah, of, exploitation going on here for what. Like, So I think, you know, Born in the brothels, like when you get to see a whole different world and there's a lot of situations that can be changed through other people's awareness and intention. I mean, as, as they say, the awareness is the first, you know, step towards action. That's what a lot of documentary,
0: doc- Give, documentary. That, that's a really. great ending line. Yeah. So the, what is it? The awareness
1: is the first step towards action. I mean, I think that's the root of what or the ideal or what people hope, you know, with documentaries, what they're doing, you know, that it does cause some sort of change. You know, people have campaigns attached to their film. I didn't have
0: that. But, you know,
1: I don't know what it would be. Get (laughs) your shit together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it. Our wrap up on the world of Hollywood and filmmaking and most importantly, the truth non-fiction storytelling, documentaries. So review the last couple of episodes where we talk about how to build a story, how to write your script, how to get your movie made, because I'm sure, you, like the rest of us, you're sitting at home wondering why I can't buy toilet paper, yeast, and flour, and there's a story there to be told. Next month, we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about fashion. We're gonna talk to some illustrators, we're gonna talk to some designers. So if you're into the world of fashion, And even if you're not, because it's going to be tough for me, I'm not a fashion guy, but it's going to be fun, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode of Creative Mind Podcast. And most importantly, if you have dreamed about a career in art and design, whether it be fashion, filmmaking, photography, game design, animation, more and more art and design career opportunities are, of course, on the rise. And employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. And here at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request more info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, fashion design, photography, UX, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. I'm your host, Bobby Brill, and thanks for listening.